Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Mike. And we're lost in the Sunnydale stacks. This is the Sunnydale stacks, where every other week we immerse ourselves in the world of Sunnydale, California, and review two episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This week, we're dusting off Never Kill a Boy on the First Date and The Pack. Or the alternate title for this week is the Owen Hate Fest 2015. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we only half the episode will be a hate fest, so. We promise. Yeah. All right, let's head into the Sunnydale stacks and open the books on Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. So some episodes upon rewatching are better than I remember them. Like Teacher's Pet, I always remember as being mm-hmm. terrible, and then I watch it. I'm like, oh, actually, this, this isn't yeah. bad. Never Kill a Boy on the First Date is an episode I always remember as being good, but then I rewatch it, and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. It's an episode for me that I, I usually kind of forget. I remember elements of it, but I don't remember it as an episode. I remember there being a bad love interest... I remember Giles saying damn when a couple of vampires are about to attack him. And I remember that the anointed one exists and comes out of someplace. But I don't remember it as an episode, usually. I always remember it as being an important one. Because mm-hmm. I know that that's the start of the anointed one. Yeah. And that there's a love interest. I'm like, oh, clearly this this is a, an arc-heavy episode. So it must be one of the good ones. But it's not. Because no. we've got two bad things going on. Owen... <laughs> And the anointed one. Yeah. Never Kill a Boy on the First Date opens with Buffy fighting a vamp in the cemetery. And I love this, because this is going to become standard formula for starting a Buffy episode. If I'm not incorrect here, I think this is the first cemetery scene, really. That they're camped out in the cemetery, and they are going to get a vampire. I think this is the first patrolling, but in Welcome to Hellmouth... She follows Willow and Xander through, to the yeah. cemetery. Well, but I actually read a website that was like, how to write your own episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ooh. Like, how to write fan fiction. Not that I was going to write fan fiction. I just ended up there, I swear. <laughs> but one of the things it said was, you have to start in a, in a cemetery. Buffy fights a vampire. She kicks his butt and then has to have a sarcastic quip at the end. Sure. Cut to credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very typical uh, cold open. I like some lines where they say... Plunge and move on. I like that phrasing, uh, where Giles is basically telling Buffy how to work the vampires. And it seems pretty uh, pretty fun to me. I actually, th- I think that this is interesting because this is where I see the fight scenes really improving. Mm. Whereas, like, previously, like, they're finding their footing. They're not terrible, but they're not, like, season three, Buffy versus Faith, amazing. And this is where I start to see her technique really coming through and just really kind of has its own feel in terms of terms of fight scenes. And it's kind of the first time that the fight scenes are really fight scenes. It's usually there's a move or two and then a thing happens, like I throw a symbol. This right. is one where it's actually a lot of choreography put together. Right. Sadly, though, Giles does not agree with our love of this mm. fight scene. Although Buffy stakes the vamp, he criticizes her technique as inefficient. Mm-hmm. Plunge and move on. 
Giles notices that the vamp dropped a ring, which he'll have to research and determine the importance of. <laughs> very stuffy. Yes, yes. Very Giles move to take the ring and then study it and have a really long time studying the wrong thing about it. That was funny. <laughs> Meanwhile, underground, the master reads the prophecy of the anointed one, which states that five will die and from their ashes will rise the one that will escort the slayer to hell. The master then commands his minions to ensure that the anointed one will find his way to the master's lair and will not be stopped by Buffy. I have to, like, really concentrate, I guess, to, like, understand what, who is the anointed one? Like, I, I remember, obviously, the anointed one. He's a huge part of the show. But it's kind of vague on who exactly he is. I think they're going for a thing where, and they did this a lot in, say, the X-Files and a lot of mythology-heavy shows, where... All the characters you see on screen know exactly what they're talking about, but the audience won't, even till the end of this episode, you're not going to really know. You kind of see, oh, this is who the anointing one, who that person is, but not what that person is. I think that was a, a thing that they didn't do too often on Buffy, and I think it doesn't quite work in the Buffy style, because the mythology is a nice way to keep you along, but it's more about the characters. So having stuff that doesn't get resolved right away feels a little wonky to me in the Buffyverse. I think they might have also been trying to go with, you know, this this prophecy written in, like, Revelation-style mm-hmm. text is very vague and weird and it requires interpretation. Yeah. And that's going to come in, you know, in Prophecy Girl when people interpret it different ways. Exactly. So I think they were going for that, but that meant that all I know is there's a creepy kid... <laughs> I don't know what he does and why he's a bad guy. Exactly. And I think at various points, the show doesn't know what to do with the creepy kid, except for have him as a creepy kid. But we'll get to that more when there's more of the anointed one. So the next morning at school, Giles and Buffy are researching. Buffy actually does a good job here. Yeah. Like she's actually helping, which is not her MO. Usually yeah. she is not helpful in the research capacity. Uh, but the symbols on the ring match those for the Order of Aurelius. Yeah, or as I like to call it, the Order of Aurelio's Pizza. Uh, it's a local pizza place, and that's what I always think of when I hear or- Order of Aurelius. And one thing that I thought was a little wonky about this, so not only does Giles not get it, but Buffy gets it immediately and just immediately knows where to turn to in a book. Just seems like Giles is a little too dumb. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, they do that a couple times in the show, I think, where I think because someone just like, oh, clearly the witch is Amy, like... It's a red herring because mm-hmm. there isn't too much evidence to back that up. But no, they just go with it and it's fine. Yeah. Which I think it's it's more of a, let's just keep <laughs> this moving, people. I understand the the necessity of just kind of keeping it moving. But I, I feel like there, there should have been a better way than to make Giles look as dumb as, well, this couldn't possibly mean anything, even though we've seen it before. Right. And Buffy immediately knows what it is. Agreed. Usually she has an insight that's more just street smarts or observation, and he's the one that says, I saw that in a book because exactly. I have the book smarts. That makes more sense in terms of the yeah, characters. It's, it's it's a weird reversal. But they're still kind of feeling their way through the characters, so I, I don't begrudge it too much. Enter Owen. <sighs> Ready, collective groan. Uh, Owen. Even his introduction is really inappropriate to me. And that Buffy just goes, oh, Owen, hi. In just the most cliched way of a girl being attracted to a boy, which is like, I know she's got a crush. She's a teenager. 
but it's a little too Archie Comics for me. I will say that I think, I mean, there's a reason it's cliched. I think that my crushes in high school, we would refer to certain football players by their number and thought mm. we were being sneaky. Of, ooh, ooh, number 48 is cute. I don't remember who number 48 is, so that is a stab in the dark. But what's weird to me here is that we have never been introduced to this character before. And I'm not really given much of a reason as to why everyone is fawning over him. It's mm. just immediately the writers want me to know this is Owen. All the girls like Owen. Okay, but why? And it's like Buffy's only been in school for who knows at this point. And she's maybe a month that long. I mean, it, it's clear that she likes him. What I don't get is why. Yeah, that never really is explained to me because. Part of it, and I hate to blame the actor, I feel like the actor's horribly miscast. Yeah, they keep calling him, like, a hunk. I mean, he's not an unattractive person, but in a world where Angel exists, yeah. honey, please. He's, he's not that special. And also, I feel like he feels more naturally more like a jockish type than a bookish type. To yeah, me. he does not look like a bookworm. Yeah, I, I could buy Farmer. I kind of came up with a weird fan theory. That maybe Owen is a serial killer. Ooh, there's a lot to support that. Yes, and as as we go through, I, I feel I'll try to point out the different yes. points where it it definitely felt like that to me. Uh, one of his first lines is about Soylent Green, so mm, maybe yeah. he's eating people. And also that line just bugged me because it seemed like any of the other main cast could have made that line work. He made it seem like the hackiest joke ever in his delivery. The Soylent Green, but... And maybe that's the problem, is not only do I like... Do I not like the way the character's written, because this is not a person that exists in real life, mm-hmm. but maybe it's in the delivery as well. Maybe it's not the writing. Maybe the actor just fudged it up. And even just that the actor might have been miscast, and I, I don't like to hit, throw too much shade at an actor, but... Really, it just didn't work. Owen just doesn't work. So he's looking for a copy of Emily Dickinson, which he must keep on his person at all times, a la Catcher in the Rye, because he's a serial killer. (laughs) I just need it, like a security blanket. This isn't a real person. Did you know anyone in your high school like this? No, no, I never knew anybody like this. And also, I think this might have been a cover, because at first he says, I lost my Emily, uh Emily Dickinson. So he lost this girl, Emily, that he murdered? I think so. Absolutely. That is absolutely what happened. Poor Emily. My Emily, when they're talking about a book, they would say, like, my poems, my Dickinson. They wouldn't say my Emily. Oh, Emily Dickinson. We're on a first name basis, Mike. They're so close. There you go by their first names. Emily and Owen sitting in a tree. Ew. I don't want to think about anybody sitting in a tree with Owen. (laughs) Let's break Owen down. So he claims... I wish I could. (laughs) Amen, brother. Uh, so he claims that he's a bookworm that likes to like lock himself in his in a stuffy room with a book all night, and that he loves dark poets like Emily Dickinson. Again, this boy did not exist in my high school. There were plenty of boys that were bookwormish. They were not cute or popular or to be desired by the female population as a whole. So I'm not quite sure who this kid is in a typical high school. Not to mention, if he's antisocial and likes to lock himself in a room with a book, why are all the girls... He's not a social butterfly. There are girls inviting him to the bronze. No, in high school, a loner kid is a weirdo. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. 
But go to any high school. The loner kid that wants to read books and not talk to people and reads like dark literature is not the one that everyone wants to hang out with. In high school, any sort of difference, anything that differs from the norm is frowned upon. The whole thing about high school that sucks for everybody is that you have to fit in and be like everybody else. And great for Owen that he's comfortable with himself to not try to be this stereotypical all-American teenager in high school. That's great, but he's not going to be fawned over for that. He's just not going to be. It's not like the popular kids need to recruit more people or, or, or some weird, they need to keep their numbers up. It's a very odd situation where this guy who seems somewhat personable, but supposedly keeps to himself all the time and has no connections. It's not like he is also a star p- football player, but he mostly stays to himself. He has nothing to make him popular other than being hunky, which is good looking, but not great looking. And there's plenty of good looking guys in the school. That's just it. I think they were tr- they were trying to cast a super uber attractive guy mm-hmm. that would transcend this aloneness that the girls are going to fawn over. Any- and that makes sense. Yeah. If, that, if they cast some sort of male model mm-hmm. and the girls are still gushing over him, that makes sense. Guess what? That's not this actor. Or even I'm if, sorry. He, if, he, if he seemed like a bad boy in some way and yeah. wasn't as attractive, but was more of a bad boy, but he seems like Clark Kent's brother, but he likes Emily Dickinson and doesn't go out much. I don't know no. how this is a person that everyone wants to hang no. out with. In he school. has zero edge. He is a fluffy bunny. Mm-hmm. Like if even controversial statement. Oh, I more understand Edward Cullen than I do Owen because Edward Cullen, while he's a loner and he's broody and he stares, there's a little bit of danger there. There's mm-hmm. the the idea of a bad boy and like he's a little dangerous and that's attractive to a lot of girls. Owen doesn't have that. No. It's it's like Ed, Ed, the Edward Cullens. That's more of like a James Dean Dean type. He's more of a Chris Penn from Footloose type. There's not really anything that attractive about him. It just seems like any other vaguely Midwestern-looking, somewhat well-kept dude. And there's more with this character that is going to seem totally off later in the episode, but I'll I'll approach that as we get to it. So Giles, keeping with the show's theme, urges Buffy to focus on the Order of Aurelius and not cute boys. Mm -hmm. At lunch, Buffy and Cordelia verbally spar over Owen. Cordy invites him to the bronze, and Owen in turn asks Buffy to go with him. Here's one of the nice things I'll say about Owen. He has good taste. He chooses the girl with substance instead Mm -hmm. of the size triple D boobs. Not to say that people with size triple D boobs can't also have substance, but Cordy doesn't. At least not yet. Giles immediately ruins Buffy's plans with a prophecy set to come true that night. (laughs) But it turns out that Giles ruins Buffy's date for nothing as we see them sitting alone, bored in a vampless cemetery. I, this is such a cute shot. Mm-hmm. And this is another example of season one is more visual than radio. In exactly. That it's just a totally visual gag, and I love it. Although I did notice one thing, because when I was watching, I was taking notes, and I didn't have my eyes on the screen for the exact moment. I did notice they had a bit of a cricket effect in the editing joke when they went to the cemetery. So you still probably have to look to figure out what the joke is, but you at least get a, somewhat of an audio cue. It tells you to turn to the TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Buffy rushes off to the bronze to look for Owen after receiving a warning from Giles about not letting him find out about her secret identity. This is where we get that famous line of, don't worry, I won't wear my button that says, I'm a slayer, ask me how. (laughs) I want a button that says that. Oh my God, why don't I have a button that says that? Why have I never thought of that? They're so easy to make. Yeah, Let's, let's make those buttons. Buffy gets to the bronze and finds her crush dancing with Cordy and broodingly leaves. 
I know in the show I'm supposed to feel bad for Buffy. I actually feel bad for Cordy that she's ending up with Owen. I feel bad for anybody who ends up with Owen in any way. I think I kind of feel bad for everybody in this situation. Yeah. Cordy's dancing with someone that really doesn't want to be touched by her. No. That is a sucky situation. Owen is being forced to dance with someone he doesn't want to Mm -hmm. dance with. Buffy's heart has been broken. Yeah. Nobody is winning in that scene whatsoever. No, it's actually really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. But it turns out Giles wasn't wrong about the prophecy. As a man spits nonsensical proclamations on an airport shuttle, a vamp steps in front of the shuttle, causes it to crash, and then the vamps attack the passengers. I'm assuming five of them... I counted. There are there are uh, okay. five. So, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, including the bus driver, which seems like the like a word problem way to not get you to realize the number of people because you don't count the bus driver. That's actually I'm really impressed with the attention to detail they had there. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I think they're, they're 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 definitely trying. Even if Owen doesn't work, other things in the episode definitely <laughs> do. And I thought it was a pretty good a sequence of the crash and the attack. It didn't really show that it's, the show wasn't uh, hugely budgeted. It looked like a pretty decent set of effects and attacks. Yeah. So at school the next day, Buffy laments her lack of a date to Xander. Probably the wrong person for her to rem- lament her date to. But Owen asked Buffy if they can reschedule their date for that night. I love the bit in here where you see the two watches. He, Owen, trying to be cute. And it would be cute if it wasn't Owen. Is giving Buffy his pocket watch to remember the time because she didn't show up because of the time excuse. And then we cut to Xander's watch and it's a Tweety Bird watch. It's cute. Uh, Hilarious and just uh, adorable. Like, oh, Xander, you don't know how to be charming or adult yet. It's very, very sweet. And maybe that's kind of what they were going for with Owen is the idea of... He's a more mature guy, mm-hmm. and girls are into that. You know, like, girls in high school would brag about dating a college guy. This one carries a pocket watch and mm-hmm. reads poetry. Maybe that's what they were going for, and it just didn't come off. But again, the kids that wore pocket watches in high school, myself being one of them at one point, we were, like, the fedora kids, the kids that thought we were doing cool adult stuff. Every girl in high school did not see it that way. They just saw us as huge nerds. So I don't feel like that would typically work out. And this is the scene where I came up with the serial killer theory. Because Owen's eyes in the scene reminded me terrifically of Michael C. Hall's eyes in the show Dexter. Okay. In the way that he's trying to look very sweet, but there's this look of almost panic underneath because he's thinking about murder. <laughs> this is just the actor doesn't remember his lines. And it counts across as Dexter serial killer. Yes, and that, that is in, entirely in the performance. There's nothing that he says in the scene that seems super creepy. It's just the look in his eyes has that look of, I'm trying to be sweet, but if you really look deeply into my eyes, you're going to see I'm only thinking about murder. Am I passing for a normal person? Am I passing for a exactly. sane, ther- sane person? So Buffy gets ready for her date with advice from Xander and Willow. I like this scene because I pulled this once (laughs) on a boyfriend. I asked him. We were heading out, me and my roommate and her boyfriend and my boyfriend. We're all heading out. We're saying, you guys pick out our outfits for tonight. Mm. Thinking, oh, this is going to be cute. They're going to pick out their favorite outfits for us. They both picked out like sweatpants and oversized (laughs) t-shirts. I was like, oh, I see. (laughs) I see where my plan failed. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to veto your choices. That's what this one might remind me of. That, that seems especially odd because it's not like they were they weren't trying to get you to not go out with somebody else. I don't. They just didn't want the boys in the bar looking at me. Oh, okay. That makes sense, I guess. Uh, but this is is one example of Xander being 
really, really over-the-top jealous of uh, Buffy, which I alternate between enjoying and thinking it's a bit much for Xander. I, I, I dislike Xander a little bit too much sometimes when he does this kind of stuff, but it's still funny enough that I can enjoy him. See, I actually disagree. I huh. find this epi- this scene adorable <laughs> because, to me, it comes off as protective in the same way that uh. even if he didn't have a crush on Buffy, he might still do this because so-and-so is not good enough for my mm. friend or I don't want boys messing with someone I care about. He might break your heart. Oh, I guess I just had a different read on the scene because I... It didn't feel to me like it was protective. It just felt like jealousy. But I totally understand that. I never thought about it that way. The only thing I could argue is that it, rather than protective, it might be somewhat possessive, mm. which gets my brain a little, a little peeved. Yeah. And as we'll learn in the next episode, there are definitely some issues with how Xander feels towards Buffy. Giles shows up at Buffy's home with a newspaper linking the van crash to the prophecy. He wants Buffy to visit the funeral home where the bodies are being kept. That, I feel like, was a little unclear in the episode as to what, why she has to go to this funeral home if the people are already dead. The anointed one, mm. was he supposed to be one of the five? Is that a thing? Well, Rises from the Ashes is a very unclear term, especially because I mean, maybe we're supposed to assume the other passengers all got cremated, but... The only person we see burn is the one we were supposed to think is the anointed one, Michael Yarbo or whatever his name was. But it, it is very unclear why. I guess they might just be looking for clues. Maybe they don't think they're actually going to see the anointed one pop up and then Buffy just stakes him. But they just think they might find clues as part of the investigation. Okay. That makes sense. And this scene does have the only line I actually enjoy from Owen is when he sees Giles at the house, and Giles does the little bit about, uh, and you better return your books. And then Owen says the line, man, you really care about your work, which is a funny line, and yeah. he delivers it decently. He does it Good playing the straight man. He does that mm-hmm. well. So Buffy convinces Giles that his theories are thin, and then Buffy and Owen leave on their date. Giles decides to check out the funeral home by himself. Mm-hmm. And as Buffy is leaving, she says two of the most dated lines in Buffy history. Yay! This is the 90s. The 1990s, uh, to be specific. I love the use of 90s as a decade. In the 90s, it seemed very meta at the time to me. Everything was talking about how this was the 90s when it was the 90s. And then, if the apocalypse comes, beat beat me. (laughs) I love, like, the next scene when she takes out the beeper and you're like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Yes, and you forget that Reapers, it was literally like a digital readout, like an alarm clock you'd get at Target or Walmart or someplace. It seems like such an ancient technology. You forget how primitive it was. Now, did you ever have a beeper? Oh, uh, no, no, no. I didn't have any sort of communication device until late in high school. It was just when people were starting to get cell phones. And I grew up in kind of an affluent suburb, despite not being affluent myself. So it was a little bit more normal at the time to just get a cell phone. My best friend had one, and I wanted one desperately. It just seems so cool. <laughs> and, like, I felt cool and, like, technologically savvy when I called her and left her, like, a coded message to let her know this is who's calling. <laughs> like, I had my own special code for this is Kristen. It is sad to think of all the time you put into technologies that are just gone. I remember spending a good two hours hand-programming ringtones into the cell phone I first got because you couldn't just download ringtones or it was, like, really expensive for whatever reason on the phone I got. But you could compose ringtones. There's a ringtone composer. 
So I didn't, I wasn't a musician, so I had to look up online, you know, I think it was still dial up at this point, and find little charts of how to program certain things. And I really wanted the Ghostbusters theme song in my phone, <laughs> so I figured out how to beep, 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 Ghostbusters into my phone. That seems like effort that was completely wasted because within two years, that is something that nobody would ever have to do again. I've never heard of it. That's interesting. Good <laughs> ringtone, though. Yeah. Uh oh. It looks like the vamps had the same idea as Giles. Uh oh. Giles runs into the funeral home and barricades himself in the embalming room, I think. I was trying to figure out the layout of this funeral home. And... It seems like they had a lot of rooms that kind of did the same thing. They yeah. just had lots of little mini workstations. Maybe they have like several morticians that work in their own little shops. But this is one of my favorite Giles moments of the first season where he just sees the two vampires and goes, damn. <laughs> this nice little British accent. So understated. There's little Citrion behind him. A lovely little Giles moment. So Willow and Xander see this go down and decide it's time to bring the Slayer in. At the bronze, Cordelia is clearly jealous of Owen and Buffy's date. Her attentions are briefly drawn to Angel, who arrives to warn Buffy of the prophecy. I love there's a reference back to this scene in Angel, because Cordelia says when she first sees Angel something like, Oh, salty goodness? Yes. And then there's an episode of Angel where all the cast of Angel turn back into teenagers. Yeah, I love and that it's episode. The first thing she says when she sees Angel then is well. salty goodness. Yes. But but, oh, that is so I great. I love that little continuity nod. This is a scene where it supports the serial killer theory. Because not only does Owen say that he likes Emily Dickinson because she's so incredibly morbid. He says, I don't get out much, which seems like a very serial killer thing to say, I don't get out much. He was alone, <laughs> kept himself mostly. So Willow and Xander arrive shortly after and propose a double date to the funeral home. <laughs> Buffy immediately gets she understands what this is code for. She runs to fight the vamps, but not before kissing Owen right in oh, front of Angel. Oh. I like the way this is choreographed, mm-hmm. that they kiss and then when they part, Angel's right behind them staring and then we get that great shot of Owen with his goofy smile and Angel Gosh. looking just so heartbroken. Poor little Angel. Aww. Owen being Owen follows Buffy to the funeral home and is excited to see a dead body. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Who is this person? He's excited to see a dead body because it's been at least two days since he killed and he wants to see another dead body. <laughs> He's going through withdrawal. Yes. This person did not exist in, I mean, does not exist in real life anywhere except no. for, as you said, you know, jail. <laughs> yeah, there's really no explanation of how he acts other than, it, like, the only explanation is that he is pretending to be something he's not. Which, again, just supports the serial killer theory. Because nothing about him adds up. I mean, it makes me think of Beetlejuice and Winona Ryder's character. Okay. She is extremely morbid and she's mm-hmm. obsessed with death. But I see that in her character. All yes. of her characters about this. It all mm-hmm. makes sense. She is a loner. She is considered weird by others. It's like they didn't want to go full goth with this or something. Yeah, and I could see maybe figuring out a way to have a character that's into that stuff, but it's secret. But it seems like Owen is willing to talk about this at the drop of a hat. Yeah, no, this is not like a secret to him. It's just that he doesn't know how to talk to people. Yes, which, again, why would you be popular if you couldn't talk to people and you weren't dangerous in a way that made you sexy? I don't understand this character at all. I'm glad he's only in one episode. This is so... He's the weirdest. So Buffy stashes him in the director's office so she and Giles can look for the anointed one. 
<laughs> Their search is unsuccessful because the anointed one is rising as a vamp right in front of Owen. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Eat him. What is with this vampire speech? By the way, pork and beans. Pork and beans. Yes, <laughs> pork and beans. Pork and, pork and beans. beans. Does this mean something other than foodstuffs? Because all the other nonsense he's rambling has a vaguely like religious undertone, like he's in a cult or he's like got some crazy occult beliefs. But then he just starts saying pork and beans over and over again. Like they smell like pork and beans. Maybe because when he w- wakes him. up as a vamp, he's hungry. And he does his vamp brain is not awake to lift enough to know that blood is his new pork and bean. No, it doesn't <laughs> fit. It's weird. It's just And it's weird. not scary. Pork and beans just completely undercuts yeah. the threat of this character. This is not supposed to be a, com- a comedic moment. We should be scared right here. And like... All of the, his spouting, you know, apocalyptic nonsense, mm-hmm. it does sound vaguely religious. And it works mm-hmm. for me. Like, I, yeah. as far as I know, he's quoting some satanic Bible. I don't yeah. know. It sounds like it. Sure. But this just, oh my gosh, pork and beans. Pork and beans. Pork and beans. <laughs> Even if he said fee-fi-fo-fum, I think it would have been better. Improvement. Definitely. So he attacks Buffy. Uh, and Owen, to his credit, tries to rescue her. This yeah. is, I think, his shining moment. Mm-hmm. He's, he has no idea that Buffy has superpowers or that this dude is a demon. And his instinct is, you can't attack Buffy. I'm going to protect her. Yeah. Great. Good. That is actually stand-up guy. You're mm-hmm. not too scared to fight. Good. Or he's a murderer and sees a great opportunity to murder without any consequence. Also that. Yes. Uh, and it's also shown that Owen has no care for uh, others' remains because he one of the weapons he uses to attack the vampire is someone's ashes. Oh, yeah. No, that's terrible. Yeah, that's horrible. That poor family. So Owen is knocked on the head by the anointed one, or the supposed anointed one, mm-hmm. who thinks he's dead. Buffy's resulting rage of Owen's supposed murder allows her to kick the vamp's butt by throwing him into the crematorium. And, and I, this is, I think, a, a good example. We There's a theme that's going to happen throughout the show of her emotions help her be a better <laughs> slayer. And this is an example of the rage gives her the power to overcome this vamp. Exactly. Two things I also really like in this little fight sequence is, first of all, Get the cool shot of her slamming the little gurney thing that ends up in the credits. She slams it to hit the vampire at the other side. And also that Xander and Willow basically decide between themselves to not tell Buffy that Owen's getting up so that she can stay motivated to yeah. kill the vampire. Yeah, they this, see that it's helping touch. her. Mm-hmm. I like that. Owen comes to and is now over his knee for excitement or death and wants nothing to do with Buffy. I, one thing I noticed that is very off-topic here, Willow and Xander in the very beginning of the scene, and again, I see Willow drinking what looks like to be one of those Mondo juices, if you remember those. Yes! I was going to bring okay. that up! This is the second time she's had one of those things, mm-hmm. and I didn't say anything because I couldn't remember what it was called, but it's in the wax bottle, yes. and you twist off the cap. Your little cap that you twist and off. And it kind of tastes like Hawaiian punch. Kind of like a punchy, grape-drinky type generic And it came flavor. in like the same flavors as like freeze pops. Exactly. Yeah. It seemed like they just took the, the freeze pop and put it in a different container and put a top on it, really. But you never see her drink it. Have you noticed that? 
No. Because I was trying to remember, do you tilt your head back and pour mm -hmm. it into your mouth, or do you squeeze it? And I was waiting to watch Willow, and she is only walking with it. It's just a prop. Hmm. But I remember these things. Also, the, remember the little jugs with the foil on top that you peeled the oh, foil? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, those as well. Yeah, those. And I noticed, I don't think it was in this episode, but there's another episode where Xander had a little juice box. Yes! And it, and it was, was the same episode. Okay. When she was walking with her Mondo juice, mm -hmm. he was walking with a juice box. And I would... I told myself this is okay because it was in the morning and I think it was orange juice. Yes. And also, it, it seems a little childish for high school, but I definitely remember people in high school still drinking like Capri Suns and their little Mondo things, even when kind of walking around with that as somebody trying to be all adult and cool would be super lame in Who high cares? school. Who cares? That shit's tasty. Yeah. And also it's Xander and Willow. They're not really the coolest and they kind of know it. Here's why I would never walk around high school with a Capri Sun. Because I don't want to be that person that can't open it. Oh, yes. Can't get that straw in. Mm -hmm. That would be the most mortifying thing. Like, forget walking around high school with a grown-up juice box. It's not It's not a grown-up, uh, with a normal juice box. <laughs> but not being able to get the straw in, I think I might have to transfer high schools. Plus, you have the danger of turning into a weird pile of liquid metal and going around the school. Like, you did in all the commercials. <laughs> I don't want to have to have that you happen. You are taking that risk into your hands. Mm -hmm. Every time. So the next morning, Owen's tune has changed yet again, and he decides that the danger of being with Buffy is actually addictive, and he wants more. He wants to get into a bar fight. That's the I, only one I can remember. Yes. It's other very cliched, like, Ernest Hemingway, things to do before you die, bucket list stuff that he lists off. Where, it, again, it just seems like a character move that would make sense if this character made any sense. Yeah, I mean, I understand. I get the idea of, like, Buffy's danger is affecting him in a negative mm -hmm. way, and that's why in the next line she has to dump him. Mm -hmm. But you go from someone who's a loner and likes darkness and death and brooding to I want to get in, my, in a bar fight and break into places, and are we going to... This person does not exist! Unless he's a serial killer, in which case, if he has somebody that he knows is into these dangerous situations, maybe he can get a, like... First born or natural born killer scenario going on, and they could go on a killing spree together. I think that makes sense. Again, the only way I can reconcile Owen's character is to think of him as a murderer. I'm just going to go with that from now yes. on because that makes way more sense than the way the writers wrote him. Exactly. And that's not a good sign for the writing of any particular episode. We have to come up with a theory not directly quoted or supported necessarily by the text that includes murder. So Buffy rejects him for his own good. She doesn't want to get him hurt. She and Giles pat themselves on the back for defeating the Anointed One. But that wasn't the Anointed One. It was a red herring the whole time. The little kid from the bus is in the Master's Lair, and he's the Anointed One. I think that's a really fun little twist, and the kind of thing that I think Buffy did even better later on. They had a lot of cool little twist endings where something you don't think is going to happen happens. A character comes back that you don't think is going to come back. All that kind of stuff. I'm not sure if the execution of this one was that great, but the twist itself definitely makes it worthwhile. And I like bef right before that, the scene where Giles and Buffy kind of reconcile in a way and both kind of admit that each of them was right about something earlier on where Giles kind of admits that I should understand that dating is important to you. And Buffy admits that this was probably an important thing that we should have dealt with as far as the anointed one goes. So I like that they, they kind of reconcile after they've been chafing up against each other the whole episode. It seems really sweet. I, I, I do believe that the first time I saw this, the anointed one was a surprise to me. That it, it definitely didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know how I felt about it other than that. Mostly because I don't understand what the heck the Anointed One is. Exactly. But it did catch me by surprise. And I think especially if you were watching it all in order at the time, this wouldn't be something you necessarily think was coming. Especially because the precedent set in the show is that the Master has some super cool minion that's going to come and kill, but then Buffy kills that minion and the Master is thwarted. That's kind of been the pattern with the Claw Guy and Brian Thompson, Luke, in the first uh, episodes. So it kind of breaks that pattern in a really interesting way where it's, oh, it wasn't just some big tough guy that Buffy had to kill who just seems like a slightly more powerful vampire. There's something like really dark because it's this little kid, something super creepy and occult about that. That's right. And that makes it way more foreboding Mm -hmm. because we haven't seen him win by the end of an episode before. And especially since the last thing you see of Buffy and Giles are them laughing over how much they won. Yes. And they don't have any idea that they just lost a huge battle in this little war. There, yeah, they don't even on. know anything's mm-hmm. coming. So that's really creepy. Oh, one other thing that I think is really interesting because you don't hear a lot about it, so I always have my ear out for it. Is you hear a little bit about Giles's youth and Watchers because there's one little offhanded line where uh, Giles says that at ten he was told by his father that he was going to be a Watcher. I, I'm not sure if I ever noticed that line before because that just got me thinking. How do the Watchers work? That they're because he, he also talks about how his father and his grandfather and then his great grandmother, I think it was. Were I like all, that, by the way, that they yeah. threw in a woman. Mm-hmm. That was cool. Uh, that they were all Watchers, which brings in another thing. Of, like I guess it's hereditary, but is it like the Slayers, where it's a bloodline, or is it just that this is a mantle that somebody takes up and then they give it to their sons? But it's not like. I think it's the second one. I yeah. don't think I don't think it's biological. Yeah, because there's no special watcher abilities. Yes, but I definitely think it, it's this like secret society that mm-hmm. needs watchers, and so you know it's this family tradition, as you said, a mantle to pass down. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, teacher Kristen likes to talk about the lessons that Buffy <laughs> teaches us. What is the lesson in Never Kill a Boy on the First Date? By the way, longest title in the goddamn world. <laughs> I think the lesson here is priorities. Mm. dating is fine but not if you have to neglect your responsibilities yeah i think you hit it right on the head it's it's all about keeping things in perspective not negating one thing completely having the balance in your life anything else you'd like to say about never kill a boy in the first date i don't think so i think we, we covered it it seems like if somehow they had fixed owen this would be such a better episode that's the only thing really because a lot of the other elements work fine they they really hit everything on on point except for kind of the main guest character of the episode all right it's time to put never kill a boy on the first date back on the shelf and open the books on the pack Unlike most Buffy episodes, which start at night in the cemetery, the pack starts in the Sunnydale Zoo in the daytime. Mm -hmm. Buffy's class is on a field trip to the local zoo. I feel like similarly to the writers not being able to agree on Buffy's strength, they also can't agree on the size of Sunnydale as a town. It seems that's one thing that especially comes up later in the episode. The geography of everything in Sunnydale and what Sunnydale is like seems very out of proportion. 
I need to, next time we see Spike pump into a Sunnydale sign. I want to see if there's a population on it. Exactly. Because they refer to this as like a one-horse town or a very mm-hmm. small town, but they have their own zoo. Yes, because we know it's it has to be basically Sunnydale or at least right next to Sunnydale because it's running distance. They run to it later yes. on from the school. They mostly have two streets that we see. Yes, two streets, one hallway in the high school, but yet a full zoo. Full zoo. At, With they a hyena a, house. I don't know if I've ever seen a hyena house in a no. zoo ever. They also have a train station, and not just, like, local trains, but, Mm -hmm. like, cross-country trains, which isn't normal. Yeah. Do they have an airport? I can't remember, because I know there's, like, an episode or two where they're at the airport, but I don't know if they establish that that's in Sunnydale, or just they go to, like, the L.A. airport or whatever. I mean, it should be LAX, I would think. But, again, and they also have basically a, a full college, we learn later on. Yeah! So maybe it's one of those towns that's built up in certain ways because it's like a college town or a port, uh, a hub town for transit. So it's built up in those ways, but there's not a lot of other stuff there. So it's it's a town that has a couple of important things, but it didn't really grow out much from there. But that also seems like kind of justifying the fact that they never really settled on what Sunnydale is. Right. So Buffy is teased by the cool kids for being unpopular. And I think these interactions are actually kind of true to life. Like, they bring back a lot of memories for me of high school and, like, the cool kids picking on me. Mm. Because, I mean, like, you always talk about, like, the cool kids have good comebacks or Mm -hmm. whatever. But they don't really. They never did. They never said anything clever. It's just that they had the numbers. Mm -hmm. So if they said something mean, that had more weight. And they had people laughing behind them when I'm all by my lonesome. Exactly. It's like, if the president, if the king makes a joke, everyone's going to laugh. Even if it's a crappy joke. Right. So, like, I feel like in past watchings of this episode, I've been like, oh, these cool kids have actually terrible lines. Mm-hmm. And this, we watch it and realize that's good. Yeah, because that's more true to life. High schoolers are not clever. They're not smart. No. And especially if you're one of the popular ones, you're not going to spend your time learning things. You're busy being popular. You're just going to hang out with your friends and do whatever popular kids do. I don't really know. Go to Abercrombie and Finch. Uh, Finch. Stand outside in front of it with their shirts off. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so one thing, uh, when Mr. Flutie, Principal Flutie, sorry, comes in, and it kind of bugs me. I guess it's something that can be used as a phrase without the gesture. But he says the thing, I ha- I've had it up to here, but then doesn't show it with his hand. That always bugs me because I feel like, had it up to where? You're not illustrating here. Had it up to this location? Had it up to, to what? It's kind of like when people say, I could care less instead of, I couldn't care less. Yes. Yeah. It's just a, it's a little nitpicky thing. And uh, with the whole teasing of Lance, it felt to me like I wish they had known more about the future of the show because it feels like that role is dying to be Jonathan. Yes. It almost feels like this is Jonathan. Before they realized that they're going to have that character and had, get that actor. Yeah, I mean, he almost looks like Jonathan. Yeah, it actually, kind of a I think skinnier, took, yeah, taller one. Yeah, it took me yeah. a second. And you know he's the nerd because he's the only one taking notes at the zoo. <laughs> what notes are you taking at the zoo? Yeah, it definitely was an animal over there. I guess they've got to make it educational, but anytime we took one of these field trips as a kid, I don't remember there being assignments. I do remember the one field trip I had to a zoo. I believe it was in middle school. The only thing I'd strongly remember is there was a kid who was looking in the orangutan house or whatever it was and he said look a monkey and it was (laughs) (laughs) and my response because that was the most obvious 
you know, second grade thing to say was to to say, great deduction, Holmes. Um, and that was just a nice little dig. We were friends, so he was uh, upset by it. But then the weirdest thing was that it was sponsored by some completely other kid, not the first kid's friend, who just went up to me and said, the term is no shit Sherlock. Like, there's only one Arthur Conan Doyle-based insult you can use on somebody, and that the official one is no shit Sherlock. You That's say, his version of, I've had it up to here. Exactly. <laughs> it's, I don't understand the, the weird etiquette of, uh, excuse me, use the wrong Sherlock Holmes insult on that young man. I'm going to have to correct you, sir. <laughs> I can understand for people that, I mean, like, at that age, I'm sure that that kid did not know who Sherlock and Holmes were. <laughs> No, well, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to take that back. He yeah. had to because then he didn't know what you were referring to. <laughs> take it all back. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I don't under, understand that. I, I guess he just thought there was only one way to make a joke, that there's approved jokes or insults. I, I don't want to know what that kid's doing now because I can't imagine if that was his mindset that he's had any fun in life. So, as we said, Principal Flutie steps in, but Lance refuses to snitch on his bullies so mm. they don't get in trouble. I've learned from first-hand experience. Don't go to the principal when someone bullies you. I did it. All it meant is that the principal said, Kristen tattled on you. Don't do that anymore. And, and it just, just made the situation yeah. so much worse. Oh, that's, that's so rough. Yeah, I only had one kind of kid that overtly picked on me ever. It didn't, it didn't happen too much, so it wasn't a big deal. I never really talked to teachers about it, but he was just kind of a jerk. And I tried to make fun of him for the fact that he had a voice that sounded like a cat being strangled. Um, <laughs> but he didn't seem affected by it, which I was really upset about. I guess he liked his weird strangle cat voice. It was his brand. Yeah. <laughs> That's how he stayed on message. Message? 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 Uh, Lance's bullies are impressed with this, so they invite Lance mm-hmm. to sneak into the hyena enclosure. <laughs> this is a severe problem with it. The bullies are impressed with this, so they invite Lance to sneak into the hyena enclosure with them. The Scooby gang notices this, and Xander offers to check it out, as bullies do not require superpowers. Mm-hmm. This problem doesn't need any slaying, so something like that, which is just another great example of, oh, Xander, you think you're so macho, and you're not, and you shouldn't be, because that's not what is likable about you. Well, he's going to learn his lesson here, oh, I yeah. think, that bullies sometimes do require superpowers. Mm-hmm. Willow and Buffy meet the super creepy zookeeper. Yes. Dr. Warwick, I uh, uh, noticed from his name tag. That's how I'm going to refer to him, because the episode is not at all. They just talk about him as the zookeeper, but his name is Dr. Warwick. Dr. Weirdo. <laughs> also acceptable. When they go inside, there is also like this weird, very stereotypical tribal music going on, which I find kind of like weird and a little bit offensive of like, this is what Africa is. Mm. Then you have, of course, the super white guy with an ascot, Dr. Warwick, come in and just kind of support <laughs> that theory. He tells us that the legend has it that hyenas are known to call their victims' names in the wild, luring them to their deaths. This creeps out Willow and Buffy, but it'll actually come up uh, later Mm -hmm. in the show. And it's loosely based on something that I do believe this one kind of hyena can do. Uh, It's one of those things that people debate whether it's true or not, but it's kind of based on a thing that may be true, which is pretty cool. Oh, like in reality? Yeah. Like you looked that up? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where they they say it's basically like they parrot back names that they hear because they're tracking down a group of people throughout the day. 
and then they they try to make noises that sound like that person's name to to grab them. It's one of those things that is still debated whether it's it's true or it's just been a story that's been passed down for years and years and years. But uh, just the fact that it's based on a true myth is pretty cool. That's interesting. That's great. Back in the hyena exhibit, the gang pretends that they're going to throw Lance into the hyena cage to feed him to the animals. <gasps> Xander ends the semi-violence. The hyena's eyes glow, and then the bully's eyes glow, and then Xander's eyes glow, and that's how we know something weird is going on. Uh, an episode of Goosebumps. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> I love that show. Every time I see that eye effect, because it happens again at the ending, spoiler alert, uh, every time I see that eye effect, it just reminds me of the super cheesy dog eye glowing effect in the beginning of the Goosebumps Yeah, credits. I know exactly what you're talking yes. about, yeah. And, and it just, I cannot take any of those scenes seriously. <laughs> So later at the bronze, Willow is confused over Xander's recent behavior. She and Buffy discuss Willow's infatuation with her best friend and Buffy's interest and confusion over Angel. (laughs) Xander arrives, acting strangely confident and hungry. Mm -hmm. Then the bullies arrive, and they seem to have a connection to Xander as they stare longingly at each other. Yeah, there's a lot of weird (laughs) undertones with this pack stuff. And I get what they're going for of, like, we're wild and we're having these primal thoughts. But a lot of it just comes off as the beginning of... As mentioned later by Principal Flutie, one of those softcore Showtime pornos. That's what a lot of their, their scenes together kind of feel like to me. There's this weird... Like, I get it's supposed to be like, I recognize this in you, and mm-hmm. I like feel a magnetic pull towards you. Because we're, we're the pack. Because we're the pack. But it really just comes off as like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, but you, you want to go upstairs? What's okay, up? Okay, there's a little uh, private room up there. Little little bro pack. And... uh just in case anyone's wondering, I did not learn any of the characters' names that are in the pack. They have names I've seen, but I I can't tell them apart. There's they're just the pack. Two guys and a blonde girl, and then a shorter-haired brunette girl. That's that's all I know. The next day at school, Buffy is training in the library with Giles. What were they going to say to anybody who walked in on this? <laughs> oh, we're just uh, reading some books. Yeah, that's I guess that's that's one of the running jokes that I. Love that, and I think they do acknowledge it a little bit more in the third season where nobody ever comes into this library because there's no way they've been training. It's not like they do a little thing. Not even that. There are windows on the door. Yes. <laughs> They're right out in People the just open. walking by. It, it, it feels too bad that they don't even try to disguise it or put up something of like, oh, we're doing a kickboxing class. They just know nobody's going to look in the library. Nobody's going to come into the library unless they are a demon or one of the Scooby gang because nobody ever needs to check out a book, which I do believe speaks to the fact that everyone in this town kind of knows they're probably going to die before they hit age 18, so they're never going to get those books. Fuck books. Cue the Jaws music. Something is loose in the hallways of the high school. I like this effect. This is cute. Mm-hmm. Buffy catches it, and it turns out to be Herbert. The little Herbert. The mascot of the Sunnydale Razorbacks, <laughs> which is in reality a teeny tiny pig with foam tusk and a spike backed. He's adorable. He makes me want a pet pig. <laughs> oh, my God. And I love the fact that he's like, he's a fierce Razorback. <laughs> I also love just how crappy the costume is for the yes. pig. The helmet and tusks. Okay, there's paper mache and a little helmet. I could get behind that, but the Razorback is clearly a crudely cut piece of green foam yeah. just tied with loose wire. Well, and I love that. I think there is a clear 
attempt in this episode to get us to fall in love with Principal Flutie a little bit more. And can't you just picture him at home making this crappy costume, feeding her little treats because he's worried about school spirit? Mm -hmm. I mean, you just picture, you're like, oh, you're the cutest, you poor little (laughs) principal. They are, it's kind of the perfect example of pet and person. Because Principal Flutie is like a cute little potbelly pig of a person. He, he, he would be a potbelly pig if he were a pet. That's his spirit animal. <laughs> Meanwhile, Willow is helping a frustrated Xander with math homework. He throws a temper tantrum and storms off. He passes Buffy holding Herbert, who appears to be terrified of Xander. Mm-hmm. I like this. I think this is a good effect. You just know something's up here. Yeah, and uh, I like also how they call back to it later on when Buffy tries to use it as evidence that something's wrong with Xander and then it just sounds ridiculous when you say it but the pig was scared of him he scared the pig yeah clearly the pig doesn't like him and I I think this is a good time to talk about how effective evil Xander is in this episode he can be so icky throughout he can be so icky and the same way that because Owen doesn't have an edge Mm -hmm. he doesn't work for me as a romantic interest yeah Badass Xander kind of works for me. <laughs> well, up a little to a bit. Point. And not, up to a point, but yeah. he has a little, like, two points on mm-hmm. the attractiveness scale because yeah. he's confident and he's, like, cool mm-hmm. and he's he just kind of gives you a look. Eyes. He doesn't, he's not overly verbose. Mm-hmm. He just gives you a look. And, like, also he dresses better. They took him out of the loud prints and they put him in black. So Xander is kind of working it yeah, in this he's, episode. Yeah, he's working it. Plus, the funniest moment in the entire episode, I don't think it's intended to be funny, is uh, it's back when he's first kind of turned and he's at the bronze, and the pack is making this joke about there's a kid who's who's kind, he's kind of chubby, and they make a joke about him being a Goodyear blimp, and Xander's laughing. Willow and Buffy look at him with this look of disdain, and she just goes, Kid's fat! <laughs> <laughs> just the way he says it, so matter-of-fact, and like, come on, kid's fat! It's hilarious! It just, every time I've seen that, it just makes me crack up for a good 30 seconds. Kids fat! So in gym class, the kids are playing dodgeball. Xander and the pack are on the opposite team of Buffy and Willow. The pack is clearly dominating. Xander even pegs Willow. Mm-hmm. And when it's down to the pack and Lance versus Buffy, the pack turns on their own teammate, who's obviously the weakest on the court. There are a lot of things about this scene. I like this as a metaphor mm-hmm. for the jungle. I actually kind of like the jungle music in this because it, yeah. it, it just, it's just hammering it home that mm-hmm. this is the strong versus the weak. Yeah. And I immediately understand what they're saying, why the pack turns on Lance and doesn't go after Buffy. Exactly. He's the weakest one there. She's clearly a warrior in this sense. Yeah. It's very clear visual storytelling. My only problem is... It seems like everybody is as serious about this dodgeball game as the package. Oh, yeah, no, this was not my high school. This was yeah. like, how much do I have to play to get a participation credit? And then, like, can you hit me so I can go sit down? Because this exactly. whole thing is dumb. And it seemed like everyone was in this, like, they were the band of brothers fighting the good fight. We're going to win this dodgeball game. Just this epic battle of throwing red inflatable balls at each other. And and it's, there were some kids who would get that into games in gym class, but I definitely wasn't one of them. No, the athletes always got into, like, the football kids would get into football, mm-hmm. and the baseball kids, would, or the softball girls, because I don't know what the boys were doing, but the softball <laughs> girls got into softball. Like, if that was your sport, yeah. you got into that. Personally, I got really into badminton. Who doesn't love badminton? Badminton's the best. The only thing that I think everybody universal got really passionate about was parachute day. Oh. Did you not have parachute day? No, we did not have parachute day. Do you day. know what parachute day is? Is that when everybody has the parachute, and they yeah. like 
bounce yeah. people up and everyone down. Everyone lines up around this <sighs> giant parachute and everybody takes turns like waving it and then like every other person runs into it and then runs back out. Parachute day was the best day of the year. Oh, that's... I, I wish I had that. We just had this weird thing in elementary school called Omniball and it was just giant pink ball. I'm talking the size of like a Volkswagen. Okay. Giant pink ball. And I forget what the game even was. I think it was like basically Foursquare to make a comparison. But I just remember this giant ball that was very light because it was all inflated. Sure. It would push around and it just seemed like everybody had no clue why we were playing this. <laughs> this isn't a real thing. It's not like that much more fun than just using a dodgeball for the same game. It just seemed like somebody spent this money at some point because they thought it was going to be a huge hit and we have to use it at least once a year. Oh my gosh. That's like a perfect example of school is like an overrated babysitter sometimes. Like we just want to keep them busy. So the teacher is the really weird one, I think, in this scene. Yes! He loves the this whole like pack behavior and he says mm-hmm. like, it's a brutal game. Your only job, like the whole reason mm-hmm. they tell, like they give you a grade in gym, is to teach people the rules. They, did, I, we would get a little yeah. packet that explained the rules. You'd spend one day per session going over, okay, here are the rules of volleyball. Okay, mm-hmm. now shut up and go play volleyball. Yeah. And then you'd have a test on the rules of volleyball. He doesn't care that these kids are breaking the rules. That's your only oh. job. Yeah, he never interferes at any time for somebody being too brutal, for them turning on, on their teammate. He doesn't interfere at all. He just loves to watch it in this really, like, overly creepy, a little bit pervy where it's like, yeah, yeah. I love it. I like want this, like, I like masochistic kids Ugh. hurt themselves with these red balls. I'm, I'm glad we don't see a lot of that teacher. I'm like, I'm glad he didn't become a regular character on the show. Absolutely not. So Willow confronts Xander about his odd behavior. He says that his feelings for her are changing. She clearly thinks that he's about to admit to having romantic feelings for her. This is terrible. Instead, he, tell her, he tells her that he's dropped math, which, by the way, is not a thing you get to do in high school. <laughs> no. So that he won't have to see her pasty face anymore. He walks away with his new pack, laughing at Willow's expense. This is so terrible. Yeah, it just it, it's heartbreaking. And even more so the scene later where she's talking to Buffy about it. I just I get so emotional with it, even though... There's a lot of silly stuff in this episode. The stuff where Willow's just feeling heartbroken about Xander mistreating her, really effective t- to me. I mean, Allison Hannigan is amazing. Mm-hmm. So she sells this so well. The yeah. heartbreak is very real. I also think that Xander does a good job yeah. here. Yeah. Like, it, he really, to me, I feel like this is a thing that could happen in high school. And mm-hmm. it has happened. You know, you find new friends, they're cool, you reject your previously nerdy friends. That's yeah. a thing that. It's universal for a lot of people. And he sells it. Mm-hmm. And it is, oh, it is brutal. What happens with Buffy and him later in the really creepy scene, It there's enough of a kernel of a truth in there that it's really effective. Yes. Because it does feel like maybe Xander's feeling a little too crowded by Willow. He's, he's always around Willow. Like, Willow's smothering him as a friend in some ways which is really just like he should know better she's a great friend appreciate her but there I would is love to have tr- a willow in oh, my life my God, okay I want a willow. so at lunch the pack is on the prowl for meat and steals another student's hot dogs <laughs> <laughs> the reaction of the hot dog guy second favorite moment of the episode first it's kids fat second <laughs> is the line reading that the hot dog guy has of hey that is not cool. <laughs> oh, see, I like the, like, shut up, you're sharing. <laughs> I like that. They sniff out Herbert and eat him raw. 
Mm-hmm. Trichinosis? They do mention that later on in the episode. But I mean, like, I'm seriously asking. They would all get trichinosis, right? I'm thinking the hyena thing gave them immunity. Because uh, I feel like a hyena could eat a raw pig. And if they have the spirit of a hyena, maybe they have the immune system of the hyena. I mean, they did develop the, like, sm- the smell and the factor. super strength. Yeah. Okay. Fine. <laughs> so, obligatory slow-mo cool guy walking to the school. Yeah. I just kept thinking of the movies The Craft and Drawbreakers with the slow-mo. Yeah. Like they both have similar sequences yeah. of the high school kids that are cool now because of magic or murder. And in this case, both uh, murder of Herbert the pig, and just uh, very, very nineties mont—not uh, montage, but a sequence of the slow mo. This scene is exactly what I think. This shot, rather, is exactly what I think of when I think of this episode. Mm. Mostly because the person, my first Buffy friend, her name was Natalie. She was a big fan of this guy Jonas, who's the lead singer in this song. Oh. So this was like a big moment for her to be like, this is Jonas. Oh my God. And then Jonas ended up being my first uh, concert ever. Wow. He was opening for someone at House of Blues. But this was like a big, such a big deal to her. She was in love with him. Aww. It's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely works for the scene. Willow is crying over Xander's treatment of her. She thinks his behavior is due to his infatuation with Buffy. Buffy seeks Giles' help to determine the cause of Xander's changes. Giles, hilariously, <laughs> blames raging hormones and general teenage behavior, which is a fair assumption. Yes. He kind of just, is, he, it's like we said before, of Buffy, or rather Joss, taking a normal high school theme mm-hmm. to the 10th degree with the supernatural. Yeah. This kind of is a normal high school theme. Boys gain testosterone and become mm-hmm. assholes. Yeah, and especially if there's a new kink in the relationship, like having new friends, or as Willow suggests... His infatuation with Buffy changing his feelings towards Willow. It's totally plausible that up to the point where he's eating pigs, this could just be a thing that happened to him when he kind of realized that he wants to be with the cool kids now. Yes, and he wants to be seen as a sexual being Mm -hmm. and not just as another one of the girls. Because this is something that's been building up over the Mm -hmm. last couple episodes. Buffy realizes that the pack is preying on the weak and that the behavioral changes started with the zoo trip and the pack sneaking into the hyena pen. Mm. Some research confirms that primals, a.k.a. animal worshippers, can possess a human with an animal's essence. It's a good explanation as any for what's happening. I feel like it's one of those good things where they give you enough that, oh, they thought about this, but we don't really need to hear that much detail about it. It's enough for me. Yeah. I'll take it. it. It does fine. Principal Flutie has found Herbert's body. The pack was spotted going into his room, and Principal Flutie orders them to his office. Alone in his office, the pack attack the principal and eat him. Oh, poor Mr. Flutie. Poor Mr. Flutie. The close-up on his picture, on his desk, I think yes. it's a really nice touch as they eat him. But here's the thing. Who has a picture of themselves on their desk? That was what I was going to say. <laughs> Not only like a picture of myself, a picture of my fel- myself facing outward to the person sitting across from me. And it's not like me. a picture of him meeting somebody or in front of something. He's just in front of basically a wall. No, it's just a, he just really likes that portrait of himself. Yeah, it's just... it's it's. When, but it's cute. And I think the, jo- mm-hmm. the show has so very little gore. Mm. especially season one. They really yeah. have zero gore. This is a nice way of them to imply of what's going on in the background while also making me feel lots of feelings. 
about this adorable principal making oh. Razorbacks in his home <laughs> with our supplies that he bought himself. There's a lot of sadness in this episode. Principal Flutie, we're, we're going to miss you. But the next principal will, will be pretty fun. So I mean, I you're lying, right? That's a joke. What? Snyder? Yeah. I mean, not as, like, I wouldn't want him as a principal. Yeah, no, he's the worst. Yeah, but as a character on the show, he's fun. Sure. Okay. Everyone's got to have a villain. Oh my God, Snyder. (laughs) We're going to have a lot of words. (laughs) Buffy goes in search of Xander. His predatory behavior has evolved to include attempted rape. Mm. Again, I I mean, this is true to life. I mean, this happens to people. Yeah, yeah. It it is a little uncomfortable just because there are so many elements of of this episode that are kind of goofy, the goosebump size and that. Right. Whenever you have something that's kind of on the rape spectrum, but other elements of that are kind of goofy, it's, it always is a a weird juxtaposition, but I think they handle well enough and it doesn't get too far over the line. Xander doesn't get very far. Buffy's able to take care of him pretty early on. So it's not, we understand what's happening and it's shut down very quickly. Yes. yes. So it's, it's not as, as, uh, off-putting as it could be. Just really, really creepy. I also like that the animalness of him has made him extra strong. So that's mm-hmm. at least some sort of excuse as to why Buffy exactly. doesn't immediately just, like, kill him with her pinky. <laughs> Buffy hits him with a desk, which I love, and knocks him out. They lock him in the bookcase to restrain him. The pack sleeps off their snack. Oh, her <laughs> principal Flutie. They s- Herbert, they're both sad. <laughs> both. They sleep off their snack in the woods and scare a female hiker and a baby. This is a weird scene, and it felt like it took forever to get through. Yeah, it it, it feels like one of those ones that must have been filler because yeah. they or they they felt they got a note about well, what's happening with the pack right now? We got to show yeah. them. It didn't feel natural. It felt like a weird set for them to be on. That was just kind of in the woods somewhere also, near the Also, they've school. become way more animalistic than Xander has very quickly. And They're also, like straight up growling at this point. Yeah, and sleeping in weird fetal dog positions with each other on the ground. Yeah. And also, they never really explained why and how Xander's splitting from the pack so much. I guess maybe you could you could make the assumption it's because he's a better person or he wasn't friends with them before. But I would I would love if there was a more in-show explanation of, like, why he's splitting off so much. I guess my brain reasoned that it's be- his attraction to Buffy and his mm-hmm. need to copulate with her okay. just took him on a different path. Okay. I guess, you, yeah, because that's a very animalistic urge to, you know, it's either food or sex when you're an animal. I was about to say, it's not a group activity, or at least it shouldn't be. <laughs> Although, with a lot of these scenes with the pack, it looks like it's about to be. So the gang decides to ask for help from the zookeeper to unpossess Xander. Willow will watch over him in the meantime. Xander comes to and tries to sweet talk Willow into letting him out of the cage. Mm -hmm. He tries to grab her through the cage so we know that he was just playing her. I think think this is well done. Yeah, it's, it's a really fun scene where you're having these two characters interact and you know one of them's influenced poorly and you're really worried that Willow is gonna get tricked and it's it's gonna end horribly for her but then she gets the upper hand and it has those emotional beats in there that'll just uh, conversation and the triumphant moment for Willow where she says, now I know. And it's just yeah. really cool. Really bad. Go Willow. At the zoo, the zookeeper combines his knowledge with Giles's to form a plan to unpossess. Giles's I'm leaving it. What's he doing? 
Giles is we've, this is like the fifth time I've said it in the sh- in the podcast that I'm just saying it quickly so that I don't have to address that I don't know how to say it. You could just say Rupert's. Ooh, at the zoo, the zookeeper combines his knowledge with Rupert's <laughs> to form a plan to unpossess the students. He informs them that after feeding, the pack will seek out their missing member. Hey, that's Xander. He's with Willow. And the pack arrives at the library and taunts and chases off Willow. This is where we get them calling out her mm-hmm. name, which is a callback to the beginning of the episode. They break Xander out of the cage and chase Willow through the school. But Buffy arrives to save her. Buffy plans to lure them to the zoo. She stops them from eating a family in their car, in their car and gives chase. I wish she'd let them eat this terrible family. <laughs> but come on, it's the guy from Hey Dude. It is? Yes. The the husband in that car is the I forget teacher caretaker head guy. I haven't watched Hey Dude in probably twenty years. He's the guy from Hey Dude, and I just I I, I found that very charming. I'm glad they didn't eat him because now there can be a Hey Dude reunion. Well, they could have eaten his terrible wife in that terrible outfit. You have to chew. You have to chew, or you'll choke. <laughs> Yeah, that kid is going to have such anxiety issues. Yeah, well, especially when he's attacked by a bunch of hyena people. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's one thing uh, when they're attacking the library and ba- breaking Xander free, in the first kind of caged up scene, which is kind of cool. There's one thing that really annoys me, and I understand it was a product of the time, but one of those same, same commercial edits where it's obviously before the commercial break, they have the guy by the window saying, Willow. Then it fades oh. to black, and immediately comes back up on basically the same shot of him going, Willow. Which I understand when you're only going to be putting this out, you're not thinking about DVDs, you're not thinking about. Well, and it back playing. then, DVDs didn't exist. Exactly. And people didn't, I mean, you could get this on VHS, but back then that wasn't a thing. People didn't watch shows like we do now. Yeah. And I, I can understand, but it always bugs me. And I feel like if I were to ever make a show, I would make sure not to do that. And even just have a different angle, something to make it not so weird and jolty. Yeah. Meanwhile, Giles walks in on the zookeeper dressed in Maasai ceremonial garb. He deduces that the zookeeper is a bad guy and he was trying to possess himself. The zookeeper knocks out Giles. As Buffy leads the pack to the zoo, the zookeeper ties up Willow for the predatory act. I thought it was pretty cool, the reveal with Giles and Dr. Weirk, just because it's the gradual realization that Giles has. And even though he doesn't get the upper hand, he's taken out with two hits, one of which is to the shoulder that seems to knock him out. I don't know how Giles' body works, but apparently it's different. He has shoulder brain. <laughs> he has shoulder brain. Oh, there's a whole bunch of medical issues in this town. Uh, and it also plays well against the earlier scene where Giles and Dr. Warwick are having this kind of bro down yeah. about the ne- geeky, nerdy stuff. And it seems like, oh, they're going to be best friends, but oh no, this guy's evil and Giles figures it out, even if he doesn't actually do anything with it because he gets hit with a stick. I like it when people deduce this stuff based purely on the logic of the information mm-hmm. they have, not because they've read books that we haven't read yeah. or they've had training we haven't. We as the audience can follow them along and be like, mm-hmm. oh, that thing is painted on the floor, which you need for the ceremony. That means it would have been there in the first place. That means you were trying to do this before yeah. the students got there. Oh my God, you're a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love that, but I'm, I can yeah. follow that along. I also wish that this episode had somehow been made about 10 years later, just so at some point somebody could have called Dr. Warwick and his whole blue and white makeup. I wish somebody could have called him Blue Man Group. I just think that would be really fun. But of course, that wasn't really a thing at that point. The Pax power is transferred to the zookeeper as the zookeeper comically tries to eat Willow's head. (laughs) 
because he's, he's literally trying to bite from the top of her head where there's a bunch of hair and bone. Like, that's... You're not going to unhinge your jaw. Like, <laughs> like as far as I know. Her I like this because it makes me think of when, act, like, bad actors are supposed to be interrupted. And you can see them be like, ah, ah, like, stop their sentence waiting to be interrupted. I should go to the... 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 And this, and instead of keeping talking, and this is the zookeeper... He knows someone's going to interrupt him from eating Willow, so he just goes, ah. I really wish they'd be like, well, wait, I want to see this play out. <laughs> yeah, right? No. But they, Tell me how this is going to work for you. Maybe you get her ear. Maybe you get her ear. Yeah, at best you get an ear. At best you pull a, a Mike Tyson. Uh, <laughs> But thankfully, Xander's able to kind of save the day. Yes, a now bit. he's unpossessed and he rushes to save her, which immediately redeems him from all his creepy behavior mm-hmm. before. Yeah. He's back to being our good old Xander. Mm-hmm. Buffy throws the zookeeper into the hyena cage where he is eaten. I also like that it's clearly she's just throwing him as a move in a fight, and then she tries to save him as he's getting pulled down. Yeah. She's not like, she's not well, a, you're dead now. A murderer. Yeah. yeah. The next day at school, Xander doesn't remember anything that happened while he was possessed. But he admits to Giles that this is a ruse to avoid dealing with all the embarrassing things he did. Yeah. And to please keep my secret. Aww. And then, of course, Giles has the great line of, uh, I'll take it to my grave. Although I do have kind of complex feelings about that whole exchange. I get that it's funny. It's a good joke. But also, something about it feels like a little creepy that it's like, these two guys, we know that that whole thing, that you remember all that. There's something a little mm. a little icky about that. If That's you a good it point, that it's a little bit like dude's secret. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm going to keep your secret, bro. Yeah, that you're an attempted rapist. Yeah, and that you remember all of it. That's, yeah. It's a, a little creepy. I mean, I, I totally get why Xander would want to do this, because if I did these terrible things, I yeah. mean, how would you live with yourself and tell mm-hmm. your female friends, yeah, I remember trying to rape you. Yeah. I wouldn't want to admit no. to that either. And then how do you look that person in the eye? Mm-hmm. So claiming that the magic made him forget, I mean, that's, I think yeah. that's a fair move. Like, I don't fault him for that. And it's very in keeping with Giles, because we'll see later on in other episodes that he he will do things that... You might not consider the most moral or the the most heroic things in order to protect the people that he cares about. So I, I think it's very keeping with his character to have that of like, I know this is what's going to help everybody get along better and what's going to m- make Buffy feel the most comfortable. And she's obviously the one he cares the most about. He's her watcher and they've bonded the most. So it definitely makes sense for his character. So, Teacher Kristen... Wants to know, what's the lesson in the pack? I think it's a lesson on peer pressure. Mm-hmm. As we said before, Buffy doesn't always tie everything up with a neat little bow at the end and yeah. tell you how to deal with this. It's just telling you that this situation is out there. Mm-hmm. So as we said, people will make new friends, maybe cooler friends, and reject their old friends. Yeah. And it's just a sucky thing that happens in mm-hmm. high school. Maybe by someone seeing something like this, they would recognize their own behavior and not do that to their friends. But it just is the reality. Yeah. It's a universal that many people go through. And also, in a, in a similar note, just kind of in general, to not always just follow what you want. Even uh, in addition to the, the peer pressure stuff of, there's a reason why we have society. Um, so if you just follow through on whatever you want, no matter what it costs other people, you're going to end up hurting people. And that's something you shouldn't do. So even on a more basic level. 
And even let boiling it down further, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the anti-bullying episode. Yeah. Again, we're not going to have a little PSA on the end about not picking on mm-hmm. your friends. But this is definitely Joss saying, hey, don't pick on people. Yeah. Don't go after the people that are weaker than you because that makes you a horrible monster. Yes, exactly. Perfect way of putting that. Now it's time to celebrate Buffy's badassery with this week's Slay of the Week. All right, Mike, your Slay of the Week. Okay, so this is the one where I had to look up and now I have it in front of me. I got the name wrong earlier. Uh, Mine is Andrew Borba. The faux anointed one at the funeral home. Okay, thrown into the crematorium. Yes, um, more for the fight before it. The crematorium thing itself wasn't as cool as I would hope it would be. I, I wish we'd get to see like him like turn into like a ashy skeleton and blow up in flames. Oh, more. like they had the budget for that. Yeah, but I, I understand they don't have the budget for that. They had to hire that great actor Owen. So I think that one's the the coolest overall because it's an, a really decent yep. fight scene. And it has the little assist from Willow and Xander. And it's, I think, the first time we've seen a vampire burned. Oh. In the, in the show. I know in the yeah. movie. But yeah, so that's, that's another cool thing. I always like it when vampires are killed in other ways other than staking. So it was a nice little variety. Get creative with mm-hmm. it. So, same as last week, I have my first choice and then a runner-up. Okay. My first choice is Owen's fake death, where we think he's dead for two seconds. <laughs> because, oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, oh I wish that, that had been the episode. Oh. So that can't be my real choice, because no, he didn't, really, he didn't die, really die, unfortunately. And really, if you think about it, that would have made for a cooler episode, because you could almost forgive his horribleness as a character. His murder spree would be over. And you could have the lesson that Buffy learns be even harsher, that it's you can't get people involved in this that shouldn't be involved in it. I wonder if that's too harsh harsh a lesson this early. Yeah, that probably. I feel like she would immediately yeah. then reject Willow and Xander's help. Mm-hmm. She'd become a, a weird loner. Yes. Yeah. So my second choice is going to actually be Principal Flutie's death. Aww. Not because I enjoy it. I love Principal Flutie, but because it's such a big, memorable moment. Mm, okay. And it has so many repercussions down the line because we get Snyder mm-hmm. and it's referred to yeah. later. Yeah. I just, I just, this is something that's going to keep coming up. I think this is a huge moment. So I'm going to take this moment to remember Principal Flutie. Yeah, I feel like we should have a little montage of Flutie moments with uh, some Sarah, what's her name, McLaughlin underneath. Oh, gosh, Buffy loves Sarah McLaughlin, doesn't she? It gets me every time, too. Like, I can sit here and say Sarah McLaughlin is cheesy, but any time they play a song, I am, like, bawling Balling. through an entire package of Kleenex. Cool. Uh, so one thing I would like to do, uh, which I think I'll occasionally like to do if I find good ones, is talk about the international titles of some of the yes, episodes. do it! Uh, so, for... Uh, the How to Kill a Boy on Your First Date. Um, that's not the real title. The uh, Never Kill a Boy on the First I Date. I wish it was How to Kill a Boy on Your First Date. <laughs> that Owen would be gone. The first scene, he'd be gone. Yeah. Five minute episode. Uh, it'd be so great. Um, I hope that most of the people listening aren't like huge Owen fans. This will be a very Those don't exist. <laughs> There's not a lot of uh, Owen Buffy strippers. Not people with good taste. Uh, so, for Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, the French title is A Missed First Date, which also... Kind of makes sense. It works. Yeah, yeah. The one that does not make sense is the Finnish title. I feel like Finland does not get a lot of what's going on in these episodes. (laughs) Is dating a vampire. (laughs) No, 
No, no way. way. I mean, that's that's the the episode Angel. That's what that yes, is. Yes, dating a vampire. Dating I, a va- I guess they're going for like they're on a date, but the vampires show up, so it's like you're dating a vampire. That's no, a big. They just though. didn't watch it. That's what no. happened. Is they didn't watch it. They were like, I don't know. They saw like maybe a couple of stills and figured this is probably what the plot is. Something about dating. Let's put this in here. But then for the pack. There's lots of variations, and then one really, really artistic one. Uh, so French, the title is Hyenas. In Portuguese, it's just Hyena. In Finnish, Pack of Hyenas. So Very literal. Little, <laughs> literal, but at least that one makes sense that time. But then my favorite one for the pack is the German title, Song of the Hyenas. Ooh, very yeah. fancy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very, very fun one. Oh, and if uh, you'll indulge me, uh, the quickest ever deleted scene theater, I think, in Buffy history is, and I'm not sure where in this episode this happened, but let me get my best Xander voice going. This is a cut from the show. Welcome to the jungle. Oh, that one line was deleted. And I, I've I've tried to figure out where exactly it was in the episode. I I hope it was right before the opening credits. So I've been as cheesy as possible. So there's the, the, the glowing glow. eyes. Welcome to the jungle, Buffy. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I think I know where it was. Where? I think it was in the attempted rape scene. Oh God. Because oh, no. he has that whole thing where he's being like, you wanted mean? Oh. I'm mean. I'm an animal now. Mm. Welcome to the jungle. Oh, 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 oh I'm God. so glad they cut that if that's so where it was. I'll creep myself oh. out. Oh. <laughs> Why did you have to think of that? Oh. Um, that Why couldn't my... we just have hated Owen and that would have been the end of it? That was in my brain. Oh, I need to go home and take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Sunnydale Stacks. Please like us on Facebook to ask us questions or share your own opinions and memories about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Subscribe on iTunes and join us next time when we dust off Angel and iRobot Eugene when we get lost in the Sunnydale Stacks. Rewind. <laughs> 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 <laughs>